My mum has a serious backbone. It's a bold start, I know. Stick with me. You know those parents who, uh, um, who will like threaten consequences to their children about what they'll do for bad behaviour, but then they never quite follow through with them? Um, yeah, that's not my mum. And it was on my fourth birthday that I realised this about her. A bit savage, but she's a great woman. I do love her dearly, I should caveat with that. <laughs> So, on my first, fourth birthday, we'd arrived at gift-giving time, and in my family, it's tradition, we'd all, we'd all gather together, um, and I'd be, or I or whoever birthday was, would be sat in the middle of the room, surrounded by all the lovely presents, um, and you'd open them one by one, and everyone would watch on, it'd be very exciting, um, and um, I very effusively would show my love for all of these presents. I'd, I was that annoying kid who would open presents really slowly, um, but I'd do it, and I, ha- I caught this catchphrase, I don't know why, but I'd open presents and go, oh boy, oh boy, to every single one. Um, and I gave a lot of praise and a lot of thanks to all of these gifts. Um, but then I opened my parents' present. It was a like super duper karaoke microphone machine thing that had loads of buttons, a sound effect, and a mic stand so you could give like the full performance. And in hindsight, it's exactly what I would have given four-year-old Emily um, because she loves to sing and be the center of attention, which might not massively be different to 25-year-old Emily, but we'll move past that as well. Um, but I didn't love that present because it wasn't the baby Annabelle Pram that I was really hoping for. Um, And so I didn't shout, oh boy, oh boy. And I wasn't very effusive with my praise. I just said, thanks, and I tossed it aside. Um, And so shortly after that, my mum took me into a different room and proceeded to tell me how rude and unkind it was to so evidently not be grateful for a present that I'd been given. So much so, she then promised to take the present away return it to Argos, and I would never see it again, and I wouldn't get anything in return. And I thought, surely not. Like, she was, she's going to say that she will, and it will blow over in a few days, and I'll get the present back, and all will be good, and we'll be fine. I think I saw it on top of a wardrobe for a few days, so I was like, it's chill, it's coming back to me. Um, friends, I've ne- I never saw that microphone again. My mum followed through, it went back to Argos, and um, I cried, I begged, and I pleaded with her, I promised I would love it and cherish it, Um, but she said no, and it went back. Um, In that moment, I had wanted something better than what I already had. I wanted more than what I already had, and then when that was threatened to be taken away from me, I tried to cling on to it so that I wasn't left with less than what I'd started with. On that day, along with lacking gratitude for someone else's generosity towards me, my mum had rightfully taught me that greed is not something that we should welcome into our hearts and encourage to stay. And that's my first point of three this morning. They all rhyme, so hopefully it sticks with you. If you're a note taker, there'll be three points. I'll make them obvious, don't worry. Quite simply and firstly, greed is a sin. Greed is a sin. And if greed is sin, what is greed? Um, Well, greed is an intense and selfish desire for something. Um, It's all centered around accumulation. And I think there's, there's two avenues to this. There's a greed that wants more, and there's a greed that wants to hoard and to, to hold on to things. And we see this in the passage of James that was just beautifully read for us. Thank you very much. Um, we're told that at the center of most of the quarrels in 
the time when this was written, is our desire to have what we don't have or to have what others have, and also that when we're greedy and when we're given luxuries, we're likely to keep these for ourselves and use these for our own pleasure. Greed grows a craving inside of us to gain more and keep more and more and more and more. And this passage also shows us how there is no fruitful or positive outcome to greed. To the people in James's time, greed was leading them to fight and to argue and then even to kill. And I'd love to say it's a different story for the world that we live in now, um, but I think we all know that it's not. If anything, I think we're greedier. Instant gratification is at our fingertips. And so in the West, every advert we're bombarded with is just trying to convince us that, when, that we need more. And then when we have that, we need even more or newer or better. Why buy a single burger when you can have a Big Mac? Or why buy or keep your iPhone 7 when you can go and buy the iPhone 12? Or why take that job you'd really enjoy when you could do something you're not even fussed about but earn 10 grand more? It's all around us in ways I don't think we're even aware of. And quite potentially in the West at the moment, I think our biggest source of greediness comes in the form of needing to be productive. Stick with, um, stick with me, I know that sounds strange. I probably can't say for all of us, but for many of us, we struggle to sit still and do nothing to have empty moments in the day that aren't used for anything other than just being and resting. And that doesn't include sitting and chilling in front of Netflix. <laughs> and at the root of this is greed. We feel like we have to make every moment of the day count so that we can have more. We need to work more hours in the day so that we get noticed and we get that promotion. Or we need to pick up an extra job so that we can get more money. Or we need to socialize more so that we can have more friends. Or we need to take more photos so we can get more followers on Instagram. There's probably way more greed flowing through our lives than any of us have a handle over. But with that, I do want to address the fact that um, I'm not, well, I'm not speaking any kind of condemnation, but I'm not speaking condemnation over anyone with a busy life. Because sometimes we need to work two jobs so we can pay the bills. And sometimes we need to socialize because we've just moved somewhere new and we don't have any friends yet. Please hear me when I say wanting to be productive and proactive are not wrong, but we need to check what's fueling our desire to do so. And that also leads me on to say that enjoying physical, tangible, and material things is also not wrong. It's far from it, actually. It's actually God-given. We read in the creation story in Genesis that God created all that he created, and it was good. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, that every good and perfect gift is from above. So what we're not meant to do this morning is go home and chuck away all of the material things that we own and stop enjoying good food and stop enjoying a good TV program or wearing your favorite jumper or going out with your mates, whatever it is. Matter does matter. It just can't matter too much. Because as often is the case when it comes to attempting to follow the life that Jesus has made a way for us to do, most things are good and enjoyable, but in moderation. 
And it's when we, bec- when, we be- when we then have unboundaried desires for more of these things that we become greedy. It's when we want these things more than we want God that greed enters into our hearts. And it's important to say that the Bible isn't just talking about a materialistic kind of greed as well. Hedonism and our desire for pleasure is also another massive breeding ground for sin. And above all of this, I think the part of greed that actually really makes it a sin is the devastation that it causes to God's creation and to God's people. Greed steals from society. As Graham Tonman says, greed wants more for the sake of more, even if that means someone else goes hungry as a result. If our desire for things and experiences get out of control to the extent that we turn a blind eye to the destructive effect is happening on other people and places, we know we've become greedy. Let's get real for a moment. What issue do we think is at the bottom of poverty? It's man wanting more money and more things, so much so that they're happy to take from others and leave them high and dry. What's at the bottom of environmental issues? Man wants more fuel and materials and space and houses and cars and Amazon parcels that we then produce too many damaging emissions and increase our carbon footprints and deforestation and we pollute oceans and we see the extinction of species. And what's the cause of human trafficking and slavery? Man wants more clothes to be made cheaply or household items or even more explicit material to watch so that then other humans have taken it upon themselves to produce that as cheaply and unethically as possible. And if that's not heartbreaking enough, the very worst part about harboring greed in our hearts is that it will never be satisfied. You'll just keep wanting and buying and longing. And even when you get that, then you'll just want newer or greater or better. In the words of that great Oxford scholar, Bob Marley, money is numbers and numbers never end. And if it takes money to be happy, then your search for happiness will never end. And so if more money and more stuff and more experiences is not what God has for us, then what is? Greed is a sin. Number two, give up everything. Stick with me again. Don't walk out at this point. So the other passage that was read to us earlier is from the Gospel of Luke, and it finished with this line. Those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. (sighs) Every time... I've ever read this, I think, Jesus, Jesus, that's a, that's a big ask. That's a huge ask. And I also end up thinking, God, please, I hope the day never comes where you ask me to do that. Please, please don't make me one of those people that you will ask to do that. I always think of it as one of those like, rare holy calls, like when God sends people to dangerous places to do mission or encourages us to embark on like lifetime of singleness, any of these things with like real big sacrifices. And I think it'll be like shouted from the heavens, Emily, give up everything you have and go to this place and do this thing for me. But I've had it so wrong because Jesus has already asked me to give up everything. And I've actually already said yes to doing it. 
You see, guys, the call to give up everything isn't something that might be asked of us one day. It is something that has already been asked of us. And that has already happened if you have said yes to following Jesus. Because when, you, when we say yes to Jesus and we say yes to following his teachings, then we're saying yes to coming under God's authority and we're saying yes to working for the good of God's kingdom and we're no longer living for our own glory. And in God's kingdom, God owns everything. Everything we have is a gift. And therefore, everything we have is loaned and not owned. I'll just give you a second to take that in. Everything we have is loaned and not owned. If we're functioning and thinking in accordance to kingdom logic and wisdom, then we have to get on board with the fact that everything, and I mean everything, that is good anyway, everything we have belongs to God and it is simply on loan to us. It may be ours to have now, but it may not be forever. Um, And there could and probably will most likely be a time when we need to pass it on. I am currently on the journey of preparing for marriage, which is crazy, in less than two weeks. Help me, Lord. I'm kidding. He's up there. I love you. Um, And as part of the prep course that Paddy and I completed, there was this exercise when we had to reflect on the vows that we're going to make to each other on our wedding day. And I just got really stuck on one of those vows. And it says this, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward. And I sat there and I was thinking, God, what does that even mean? What does that look like to have and to hold someone that kind of doesn't make sense to me? And then God really answered my thoughts with this amazing picture. And I saw us on our wedding day, um, and it was the moment I was making this vow to Paddy. And God was stood right next to him, looking at me, saying, Emily, here is my son. He is my precious treasure, and I am entrusting you to look after him for me. And I don't mean that in like a gender stereotypical kind of way. I mean that in the sense that he will be on loan to me from God to enjoy and to treasure and to look after and to care for for the very best of my ability for the rest of this earthly life. And I think this is how we are called to treat every good thing that God gives us because they are all gifts. Even if it's all that we have and all that we own, it's still not ours to keep if God asks us to give it away. And I I think that's why in this passage, Jesus not only says give up everything, but he says, if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. If we truly live with the mindset and heart posture that everything we have is a gift that is on loan to us, then we should be prepared to pass that on at any point because we can't hold on to things that God is intending to use to bless someone else. We can't be hoarders if we want to see earth look more like heaven. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a little boy. Um, It was most likely a hot day, I'm going to assume. (laughs) And he was one among many in a large crowd. And as the day was nearing the time when everyone was getting hungry and needed some food, some older men approached this little boy. And they asked him if he had any food in his possession. And all the boy had were five loaves and two fish. And the men explained that they needed to feed everyone in the large, large crowd, and they asked him if they could take them. And knowing that giving away what he had would probably mean he'd get less back himself, 
he gave away his five loaves and his two fish. He didn't hoard them, but he gave them to God. And God used his small offering to perform what is actually the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Out of five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000 people and he fed them in abundance. So if we're prepared to give up everything, as Jesus asks, it could have the potential to go on and do far more than we could ever imagine. And so if greed is a sin and we're called to give up everything, it means it's generosity for the win. The best way we can combat greed is to practice generosity. In Acts 20, 35, we're told, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'm sure many of us know that is true. Like how much greater is it to give a really great, well thought out gift or to give away that thing we've been keeping forever and we don't wear it anymore or we don't use it anymore and we see how much more it blesses somebody else. There is a liberation to liberality because it helps us to actively walk away from being suffocated by greed and walk towards a lifestyle where we treat everything as a gift. The more we practice being generous, the less attached we will feel towards our belongings because we'll come to appreciate that they are just in fact belongings and eventually we'll be separated from them in the new earth anyway. And since I've called it practicing generosity, I'm just gonna chuck out a few practical things. before we finish, that we can potentially put in place to help grow a heart posture of generosity. Um, And the first of these disciplines is tithing. I'm sure many of you heard of tithing before, but some of us might not have done. There's not enough time to go into the theology of tithing and dig that up. That's a different talk for a different day. Um, But essentially, tithing is when we give a percentage of our income to the church, or it's become a bit more popular now for people to split that across different causes and charities and things to give their money to. Um, And a lot of Christians choose to give 10%. There's some Old Testament biblical grounding to this. Um, But there's also a lot of people who choose to give way, way more. Um, And maybe if that's something that you haven't considered before or you do do, but you've kind of like left that in the cupboard for a while and you don't really think about it, maybe this is a great opportunity to revisit that practice of tithing, to pray to God, to ask him um, what it is you could be giving, to where and how much. And with all of that, keep in mind that any sort of giving is meant to be costly. Like generosity is meant to be costly. It's easy to give a comfortable amount because then no trust is required for God to provide the rest for us. But when we give more than is comfortable, it's a great way of demonstrating we are willing to give all that we have to God and trust that he will provide for our every need. So that's tithing. And the second practice is Sabbath love Sabbath. So quite commonly, Sabbath is viewed as the day of rest, and it is the day of rest. Um, But I think we often see it as like this day where we don't go to work, and we chill around, and we kind of catch up on all of our tiredness, and um, it's just a helpful, like, sleepy day. But in reality, Sabbath is, is so much more than that. Sabbath is actually what our week is meant to build up to, not what our week is meant to run down towards. It's a day of resting in God's goodness, a day of stopping to enjoy God's creation and the life that he's given us. Many people practice Sabbath by having lovely meals with friends or getting out into nature or taking naps or worshiping and praying and taking time to be present with their family and friends. It's a, it's a day to take a break from wanting and desiring 
and a day instead to focus on gratitude and thankfulness for everything we already have and that God has gifted us. Sabbath is a great practice in turning our attention away from wanting more and finding contentment in God rather than our belongings and our stuff and our experiences. And with this, um, the purpose of these practices are not just the practices themselves and like really, you know, being able to say, I am nailing Sabbath, I'm just so great at that, and tithing, I just give away everything, I'm really good at doing these things. It's not about the practices themselves or even about becoming less greedy, more generous. In the end goal of any spiritual discipline is to make us more like Jesus. It's to put practices in our lives that draw us closer to God and help us to live the kind of lives he's called us to. And God loves our attempt. He will always help us to grow in these things and he will never leave us to do it on our own. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up while I come into land. Because if after all of this, you're still not entirely sure why you should be generous, then as always, we look to God and the example that he's set for us. Generosity is a form of love. And God is our generous lover. He is a God who just gives and gives and gives to his children, so much so that he made the most radical acts of generosity that anyone ever has seen and anyone ever will see. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son into this broken and messy world to be born a fragile, dependent infant who then grew into a humble and generous man who was ridiculed and defamed by his own people to the, to the degree that they begged their rivals to hang him on a cross. They stripped him naked, they beat him, they made him bleed, they spat on him and they laughed at him when he died. And God made this beautifully tragic act of sacrificial generosity so that when Jesus rose from the grave, we could be forgiven. So that we could be made clean and so that we could live in God's glorious presence for all of eternity. And if your heavenly father is willing to be that generous for you, then what do you really have to lose in letting go of greed and giving generosity a try.